You're listening to a sermon delivered at First Family Church in Ankeny, Iowa. For more information and sermons, visit our website at firstfamily.church. We have been in this series for three weeks. It is called Intentional Evangelism for Normal People. That's what I am and that's what you are. And yet God can use us to share his love with others. This is week three, so let me do just about two minutes of review with you, can I? To show you where we've been. Uh, here's kind of how I see evangelism biblically. I drew a couple of charts in the past week or so to kind of <clears throat> outline my thoughts. Here's the first one. I, I think this is kind of what we've been saying for these two. Now this, this is the third week. Evangelism is really a sphere in which you have conversation and relationship. And within that sphere, several things can happen, such as <clears throat> presentation of the gospel, proclamation of the gospel, an invitation to a gospel service, an observation of a gospel life. We're not against any of those. We think they had their place. Some of them may be more effective than others. Are you with me? But none of those would happen if it weren't for a relationship in which there is conversation. So we've been trying to urge you towards having more gospel conversations in the relationships that already exist in your life. And I believe the Bible teaches that those will happen and that we're motivated toward those when we realize the theological foundation for evangelism, that God deserves worship. And he's not yet worshipped by all people in all places. So this is why we have gospel conversations. It's not to kind of, you know, put a notch in our belt or to make our stats look good or because we want a bigger church. It's for God's glory. Are you with me? That's why we talk about the Lord. And so I just kind of drew that out like that's kind of how I see it. It's just a sphere in which we operate all the time with conversations and relationships. Many things happen within that. And a lot of folks get stuck on what happens in the circle. They kind of get method uh, vision. Like, well, it's got to be this way or it's got to be that way. And perhaps you heard that from me at times. I have some ways that I think are best and fit me the best. But they may not fit you the best. I'm just happy if we talk about the Lord in our relationships, amen? Let's just do more of that. As long as that sits on the right foundation, man, I'll cheer you on and applaud you as you witness for Christ. It is for God's glory and the worship of our Lord. That's why we witness. Here's another way I kind of drew out our series. This is kind of more specific to Acts 17. We've been looking at three, you might call them circles or three areas that that Paul engaged in. The first one was the idea of perspective. He had a holy irritation. This would deal with that base evangelism, the, the foundation for it, uh, which was that God deserves worship. We look next at the, the uh, matter of frequency, and Paul was consistently interacting with people in strategic and purposeful ways. And so he frequented the same place uh, a lot of times in his life and ministry. I heard from someone this week, uh, and I was so proud of this young man. As he shared with me this, he said, you know, um, I really value efficiency. He said, so for me to actually frequent the same place when it's not convenient doesn't fit me. He said, it just goes against the way I'm grained. He said, if I'm at X place and I need to get gas and also stop here, I'll do what's closest. He said, but I decided I would probably start frequenting the, the same places, even if I got to drive further, because those relationships matter. I love hearing that. Just the guy who says, you know, I, I want to... Think about not just my own time, but someone else's need. Isn't that great? He's thinking about how frequency intersects with his heart for evangelism. Today we're going to look at the idea of margin. 
I call this sovereign interruption. And when these three combine, you'll notice in that Venn diagram, when these three combine, I think that's where you have the best opportunity for a gospel conversation. So holy irritation happens inwardly. Then there's consistent interaction with those around us. And then suddenly God gives us a sovereign opportunity, or we'll call it interruption. And boom, the pain line's in front of us, and do we cross it and have a gospel conversation? I think this is Acts 17. Why don't we turn there and look at this final circle, this final area. We'll call it the the need for margin or knowing how to allow interruptions into our life without getting completely frustrated. You say, Todd, why do we need margin? It's precisely because of that word I just mentioned. It's the need, we have a need for margin but we, because we, our reality is this. We live a life of interruptions. Could somebody there say amen to that, Pastor? I mean, if you've got even one kid, you've exponentially multiplied your interruptions. Now, a lot of you think, well, my kids get grown and get out of the house. You're, you're fooling yourself. If your kids get married, you've added interruptions to your life, okay? Then you've got grandkids. And I'm not faulting that, but you really don't get to a place where there's less interruptions. You actually increase sovereign opportunities to impact people for Christ. We're going to talk about that today in this idea of the need for margin. I like what C.S. Lewis said about interruptions. He actually says that interruptions are one's real life. Look what he said here. That the great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life. The life God is sending one day by day. Paul's life would bear this out in Acts 17. You're probably there already. I've got to make some quick tracks here. Look what happened to Paul in verse 19. This is different wording and a different situation than what happened previously. Remember previously, verse 16 of chapter 17? The holy irritation, he was provoked within himself because of all the idolatry. And so he reasoned in the synagogue and he went to the marketplace every day. So here's this uh, perspective and this frequency, but something different happens in 19. As others heard him in 18, the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, as they conversed with him, They were intrigued by him. So verse 19 says, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. See, that's different than Paul going on his own to the marketplace, isn't it? Here's uh, somewhat of a forceful invitation, an action on the part of another to say, hey, can we get on your schedule? Come with us right now. I don't know if Paul was planning on that or not, but I know he had room for it. This is an interruption into what Paul was already doing frequently. And this is what I realized this week. I want to to camp on 19, and I will today, this idea of the interruption. But I realized that actually I need another week in this series. Because what happens is Paul is interrupted. They bring him to the hill where they would have debates and conversations. They ask questions. They give perspectives. But what happens after the interruption is really Paul begins in verse 22 with a beautiful discourse on the gospel. And what I need is a fourth week called fluency. So really evangelism in my mind is now really four kind of circles. It's perspective, frequency, um, margin, and then fluency with the gospel. Knowing that once the interruption happens and you cross the pain line, can we talk accurately 
and compassionately about what matters most. I don't have time to do that today. So I guess fourth week will come sometime in 2018. We'll get there, okay? So just be aware. I'm going to really focus on 19. I haven't forgotten the rest of the chapter, but uh, I just don't have time for it all today. What happens is they, in some way, interrupt Paul's already frequent lifestyle of visiting these places and being with people. And they say, can you come with us? And so he goes with them. And look at verse 22. He stands in the midst of the Areopagus, which I don't think he was planning to be there, but he was glad to be there. And he says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Notice what Paul does here. Paul moves from the common to the command. He goes from the known to the unknown. He starts with them and works his way to God. It's a very applicable strategy. Sometimes we don't make headway in our conversations because we start at the wrong place. We start with us or we start with God. Now, I only hear this wrongly, but often the bridge to the unknown starts with the known. So get into their world and talk about what they're going through, what they're experiencing. And use that as a bridge to get to what they need to experience. Are you with me? Notice how Paul does this. He says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. He admits and and, and says, Wow, you love to worship. That's something we have in common. That's a need of every created being. What therefore uh, you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. Suddenly he moves to God, the God who made the world, everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. Notice his gospel fluency here. He does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and their boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards Him and find Him. He's actually not far from each one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being. Even some of your own poets have said, we are indeed His offspring. So here He moves from them to the larger circle of their culture. Do you see Him identifying, being aware of where they are, their experience? Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. Now He's reasoning with them logically, Since he's the creator, he would not be like us in one sense. An image formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. He just crossed the line, didn't he? He just crossed the pain line. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And to this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You can track this conversation with what I think is the best definition of the gospel in four words. God, man, Christ response. Those four words guide me in in a lot of conversations and they help me think correctly about the gospel and have the right kind of fluency. Paul did this here. Start with them in their world. At some point, let's move to God, man, your need, how it's met in Christ and what's your response. He does this. Starts in their world. Moves to God in somewhat of a general fashion, then to man's need because of who God is, and then Christ. And look at their response, verse, 20, verse 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Ah, oh, so he crosses the pain line, he gets hostility, doesn't he? But others said, We'll hear you again about this. Oh, here's some hunger. 
Some men joined him and believed, among whom were also were Dionysius and Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Even Paul didn't bat a thousand in his responses, did he? But he still crossed the pain line. And remember what we said in our symposium. You have to risk some things to discover either hunger or hostility. You'll never know on this side of the pain line. Like, what are they going to say? How are they going to think? What will they, uh, how they judge me? You won't know until you cross it. And then you'll know. You may get both. You may get one or the other. But we have to risk it to discover it. Paul did exactly this. So I would love to spend a whole week just looking at his kind of message there, the gospel fluency of it. I can't this week. I want to back up to verse 19 because none of 22 and following would have happened had Paul not been opened uh, or open to an interruption. Verse 19 again, they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus. Interesting, isn't it? A sovereign interruption on the hills of frequent interaction that came because of holy irritation. This is where Paul is now. He was willing to create some space in his life to be interrupted. He was willing to have margin in his life so that if, if God were to, quote-unquote, interrupt, um, give him an opportunity that was planned or foreseen, he could respond appropriately. You see, guys, I think there's something I want to make sure we understand from this and learn. That usually and often space leads to sharing. And one of the reasons we don't share often is because we don't have or create even the space in which to share. We are extremely, I don't want to use the word busy, I might use the word undisciplined. We just run from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, and often we're late. We leave very little margin, which means if someone were to interrupt us, we have no time in the moment to actually share anything. So understand, space leads to sharing. So I want to encourage you, make room in your life for making disciples with your life. Like just in the normal course of your life. Which, by the way, this really fits the Great Commission, doesn't it? You've been taught this, you know this, all of our pastors have shared this, we've written about it, it's, we're not the first to think of it, but the Great Commission is not really focused on the word go. Most of the translations actually say, go and make disciples. But the imperative in the verse is to make disciples. The participle, which is assumed grammatically, is going. So a most literal translation of Matthew 28, 19 is, as you are going, make disciples of all nations. So what did Christ assume? That they're going somewhere, so as you are going about your life, make room in your life for making disciples with your life. You'll meet people along the way. You'll have conversations. You'll interact and intersect. When God sovereignly interrupts that very life, when your attitude is one one like this, wow, this is from the Lord, then watch this. That filters your reaction. I wrote down on Monday that it flows into our actions. And the more I thought about it, I think that's not the right way to say it because interruptions don't flow. And an attitude that interruptions could happen that doesn't really flow into my actions. I usually get frustrated by that. And I got to praying about it and thinking, really what I need is for, is for the fact that God sends interruptions. I need that to filter my reactions. And you do too. So that you don't respond like, Yo, hey, what are, you, what are you doing? Don't you know I've got a schedule here? And why did you spill that? Now I've got to clean that up. We're going to be late. I mean, you can name any situation, but often interruptions are God's way 
of getting our attention that an opportunity for impact is just on the horizon. So you should see interruptions as potential opportunities for impact. When you start scanning the horizon that way, then suddenly your reactions can be filtered like, oh, I don't want to respond that way because this may be something God is doing in the moment. And it could be even with your own children, by the way. And that may be the people right there that God's bringing to your path for a, for a gospel conversation. Someone in your home. Someone at work. So I'm just trying to get you to see space leads to sharing. So let's create some room. And as we create room, it helps our attitude because we start realizing that interruptions can happen and they're not always bad. They're often the way God gives us opportunities for impact and that will affect and filter our reactions. Are you with me? That's really what's going on in 19. I think Paul said, yeah, I'd love to go up on the hill. Let's go. He was planning probably to stay in the marketplace. He was probably intending to just kind of be among the people there like he had been for, for days. But he got this interruption, this opportunity by God and it led to impact. A few other notes for you. Interruptions are not new in the biblical narrative. I can go back to Abraham, who's walking in idolatry with his family. And God says, Abraham, of my own choosing, I select you. Follow me. Okay. Abraham left his family and was headed to a land he did not know where it was. Like Abraham didn't get, you know, 90 days notice. He didn't get a request from God. God just said, Abraham, um, it's me and you now. I would say the 12 disciples that Jesus interrupted, they were fishing, they were collecting taxes. One was trying to hide, Zacchaeus wasn't an official of the 12, but he was a convert. He was hiding and was intrigued. I mean, Jesus interrupted their life, didn't he? He said to Zacchaeus, he said, hey, I'm coming to your house today. Oh, man, I, I've been robbing people. Uh, you're coming to my house? <laughs> Can I get you an RSVP next time, please, Jesus? I mean, you just think about all these things. Uh, Moses got interrupted. He's shepherding, uh, is it in, in the desert of Midian, I believe? He'd been there three or four decades, and the bush catches fire but doesn't burn up. That's an interruption. And then the bush starts talking, like, whoa, I need to see what's happening here. I would say that Jonah was interrupted, wouldn't you? Hey, Jonah, can you go to the people that you actually despise and share how much I love them? Now, tell them first that if they don't repent, I'm coming in judgment. But could you go to the very people that you don't like? And so Jonah went the other direction. Proof positive. He felt like, God, you're interrupting me unnecessarily. We can move on to people like Joseph and Mary. Imagine Joseph's thoughts like, you're pregnant? That's an interruption, <laughs> right? Even Paul on the road to Damascus was on his way to persecute the church when Jesus appeared to him and said, hold on there, buddy. I'd rather you be persecuted for my name's sake, than to persecute those who are in the church. And in one moment, Paul's life was dramatically changed. In fact, let me show you how common interruptions are to the biblical narrative. If you just go back one chapter, Acts 16, 
They're planning to try to get to Bithynia and some of the areas in that region. And they, they were finding the doors closed. And then that night, Paul receives a vision from the Lord from someone in Macedonia. Come over and help us! Paul said, oh, that's what we should do. And so they stopped doing what they were doing there, and they went to Macedonia, and the doors were wide open. He found out the night before. So for us to say, hey, who do you think you are, God, interrupting my life? We're really out of sync with the biblical narrative, okay? God specializes in giving you opportunities for impact by actually interrupting your life. And so I want to invite you to have an attitude that this is actually what I should do. I should create some space and margin so that interruptions can happen because that will help filter reactions because this is one of the ways God gives me opportunities for impact. One of my interruptions recently, it wasn't overnight, but it uh, was a hospital stay. I had some heart issues for a couple of years. They're not really big, but they were bothering me. So I finally got to the bottom of it. And to make a long story somewhat shorter, if I participated in a study, then I could get the ablation, which is really a procedure, not surgery, done sooner. And so I joined the study. I got approved. And they said, you got to do it in 30 days, and we'll tell you when. So I said yes. And then they put the procedure on the first night of our missions week. And I just hated that. I did. I was like, that's one of my favorite weeks of the year. We had two couples here that we dearly love, and I wanted to kind of facilitate that interview and be a part of that, but I had to go and have this ablation done, and it was really out of my hands. And I didn't want to say no because I didn't want to get out of the study, and so I just said, okay. I felt like it was an interruption, you know. And everything went fine in the hospital, but when I got there, I had to stay one night, I remember thinking, well, I ought to make the best use of this. And so the first nurse, uh, we had some great conversations. Um, uh, found out more about, like, you know, what her and her husband do. And anyway, there's a restaurant they own, and so we're going to make plans to visit this restaurant. Um, had a to, she got a chance to meet Julie, and in fact, they changed numbers and had some more conversations about things. And so at the end of that, I thought that was probably the Wednesday night really late, and the World Series was on. And I'm watching an uninterrupted World Series game. I'm like, this is a pretty good deal here, you know, right? So uh, just a little carnality there, a little humanness. Sorry about that, okay? <laughs> but uh, I'm just sitting there thinking, this is good that I, I would never have met this person or her family had this conversation, found out more about her had I not been in the hospital for tonight. The next uh, nurse on call uh, or on, on, on duty there came in and we got talking to him a little bit, chance to, you know, share some more and, and we... The whole thing is this, that was an interruption to me because I couldn't be here at one of the times that I loved the most and yet I think it was very sovereign that I chose to meet two more people who don't know the Lord but are open to conversation, shared much about their own situations and crises. I would never have met them probably had I not been interrupted for this procedure. Does that make sense? Nothing came out of that magnanimous yet, by the way. Some of those things are still ongoing Some aren't as fruitful as I'd hoped. But I'm actually thankful now that that procedure was done on that day. Even though I really missed that night, I'm glad it was that night. Because God wanted me there. Does that make sense? I'm just trying to show you, I kind of deal with this like you do. I have interruptions. Some of them are planned a month out. Some of them are a week out. Some are an hour out. We all deal with that. But interruptions are the way 
God brings opportunities for impact along our path. He doesn't need your permission or consent to give you notice. He may, he may not. Our job is to respond to them with the right kind of reaction. I think one of the ways that we can do that well is if we create some space and realize that when there is space and margin, then we're more apt to share about the Lord. So let's, let's kind of let all this lead to our third principle, can we? Remember one, right? See first, share second. That deals with perspective. That was principle number one. Number two deals with mar- uh, frequency. Is it's, not, it's an ongoing conversation, not just a one-time presentation. Here's principle three, dealing with margin. Interacting where they live means being willing to be interrupted where I live. And you can put the word I or you in there however you want to. But in a first-person statement, this is what we're saying, that for me to interact where, where they live means I am willing to be interrupted where I live. And I can already sense in the room you're kind of bucking up at that idea. Like, what? Who do they think they are interrupting me? You mean I've got to put my life and schedule kind of at, at their disposal? Well, to some degree, probably so. We're sensitive to what God is doing around us. We're going to create some space so that we can share when these kind of things come up. Now, as you process this statement, this principle, being willing to be interrupted, because that's what happens when you interact where they live. You start with them, you'll be interrupted. Here's what I've discovered. Usually interruptions, and I could use the word opportunities here, usually interruptions or opportunities for impact wear the clothes of a crisis. So you're with your daughter at dance class and you're standing against the wall with other moms. And you can tell the one beside you is just not her same self today. She says, man, my husband and I, we're just not in a good place. Point of pain, so your ears perk up. She said, in fact, he told me when I brought my daughter, our daughter over, he said, you know what, when you get back, we've got to talk about the future. I know what that means, she says to you. A crisis. And then she says, you got time to talk sometime? What do you say to that? She's asking you to get into her calendar, her schedule. Would you have the margin to say, you know, yeah, we can chat. You want to talk right now? Uh, can I call you tomorrow? If you say, you know, I think I'm free in two weeks, you'll miss an opportunity. She's talking about a situation, a marriage, that she's thinking when she goes home may lead to divorce. Like, this is not good right now. Can we talk? And she's opening wide her life for you to minister and serve and share. Are you with me? If you don't have space, and just feel uncomfortable here for a bit, okay? Row the boat of conviction with me. If you don't have any space at all, you'll miss that opportunity. But if you've created some margin, then you might be able to say, you know, I've got some time right now. Can we talk? Can we step outside and chat? Or, you know, how about, how about tomorrow morning we get coffee and we talk about this? Or... I'm free tomorrow. What's your schedule like? Are you tracking this, guys? That's an interruption in one sense, but it's also an opportunity for impact. Or perhaps you're leaving work. You're walking to the car with your, with your buddy. He says, well, my wife called just now. She said she's not cooking tonight. Kids have been crazy. She said we're using the gift card we got to, to Chick-fil-A or B-dubs, whatever. Pick your place. Then he says, hey, you want to go? You're like, hmm. But you've been trying to establish conversations. You're thinking, my wife's probably got dinner maybe on the way, or maybe, well, I don't know what my plans were, but 
he's asking you to join him for dinner. Can you go? Is there enough space in your life to share dinner with someone on the spot who probably has just opened up about maybe some of their hectic nature or some of their, who knows, right? That's pretty normal. Have a day where you don't want to cook, right? Okay, thank you for my honesty. I appreciate that. I'm looking for that in the room. Yeah. But see how God used that in someone else's life, perhaps, to, to bring it into your plate? No pun intended. <laughs> okay? Maybe you're single. You're in a reading club. Maybe you're in a basketball league. It's always Tuesday night or maybe it's, you know, Thursday at lunch or something. But one of the persons in there texts you on the off night. Hey, we're getting together to talk some more about it. It's not your usual night, so you're like, well, this is when I, this is the same person that maybe you've been interacting with more. Can you change your plans to maybe play some more ball or, or talk more about the book? I'm just giving you random kind of sample ways in which we get interruptions. There's multiple ways to view that, and there's multiple responses. What I think we have to be able to do is this. Can I figure out a way so that there's space in my life so when interruptions happen, I can respond in a way that they'll become opportunities for impact so that I can share about what matters most. I can continue gospel conversations. I can enter into a place where perhaps the pain line will be there, and I can have the privilege of crossing it. Are you with me? Now, I want to kind of rock your boat for a bit. A lot of us struggle with this margin thing because we, we want to prioritize our time well and use every minute efficiently. And I struggle with that. I, want to be, I try to, you know, be, well, I want to... You're, you're with me. I can't explain it. All I know is you, you tend to book every minute and you follow that schedule. But this week I've been under some really deep conviction that, that if you don't have margin in your life for God's mission, you're not prioritizing your time. You're actually idolizing it. And I know that's one of my idols. Is can I use every minute to its fullest? But if you get to the root of it, it's this right here. Can I use every minute to its fullest for me? That's idolistic. What I should say is, can I use every minute to its fullest for God? Are you with me? And could it be that God would want to interrupt my life for someone else's need? I would say the answer to that is yes. I just don't know when that occurs. So I've got to find a way to create some space and margin so that when that occurs, I'm able to share. I'm able to respond to a crisis. And I tell you, he's really good at this. My wife's just excellent at this. It's only true in our family. I mean, she could handle an interruption, and I'd be really red up top, you know. And she'd, she'd look at me and kind of give me a look like, you know, just, just relax a minute. I'd be like, relax? We're going to be late. You know, that's what, I, that's what I'm thinking. But she handles interruptions so well, even in our church and even just in our community. I can't tell you the number of times I'll get a call, and I'll look at her and say, can you go with me to see so-and-so? They're in a, they're in a mess right now. And I know she has things planned or perhaps something with the kids. And this is even now, but even years ago. I don't know hardly of a time in which she said, I can't do that with you. She is so good at arranging things, adjusting things. Her, and her mindset really affects me. It's like, I need to be more like that. To just realize interruptions are really God's opportunities for impact. Maybe you've got someone in your life who does this well. I would try to, you know, 
learn from them. Try to watch what they do. Because if you, if you think that establishing margin means you're wasting your time, that's not true. In fact, listen very carefully. The enemy of margin is not busyness. The enemy of margin is selfishness. And it's usually displayed by an undisciplined, unfocused life. You say, well, Todd, if you're using every single minute to the best of your ability for your purposes, how is that undisciplined? Because I have forgotten really why I'm here. I'm unfocused on what really matters. I'm just focused on my own life, and that's selfish. I should be willing to say, God, your purposes matter more than mine. It's your agenda, not my own. It's your schedule. So I'm going to create some space so that when the opportunities come, I can share. I'm willing to be interrupted as I interact where they live. I hope you're tracking okay this morning with us. Are you? Is this kind of making sense? I know it's just out of one single verse, and there's so much more about the gospel that I'd love to get to. I just didn't plan as well as I thought, I guess, in this series. We'll get to week four someday. So there's principle three, that interacting where they live means being willing to be interrupted where I live. Before I give you just three quick tips for uh, creating margin, interacting well, let me try to answer a few questions. I'll take maybe a couple real quick. Can I do that, Natalie? Here's one that came in this week. I don't know how to answer it. I'll just be honest with you. I thought I gave some good specifics, but two small groups talked to me and said, Todd, we need more specifics. You got some. Our groups are really chatting. So I just heard that well, took the feedback. Well, I guess I wasn't as specific as I'd hoped. But their question was this. Any more specifics on how to cross the pain line in a conversation? I'd mentioned about listen for pain or passion points, ask a lot of questions. Um, here's maybe just one more specific tip. In asking questions, uh, propose getting together again. Like, like ask a specific question like, hey, tell me more about what you just mentioned. Like, I didn't know that you lost your first husband. Tell me more about that. So I'm asking a more specific question for more information, let's say. Does that make sense? Or say, you know, I, I'd love to hear more about that. Can we get together tomorrow? Or you got time to talk about that again later? I keep looking over there, don't I? Amy and Aaron, you guys... But I think just the kind of questions that would breed a response and that would get into their calendar, because here's what I believe. You're not in someone's life until you're on their calendar. It's always intentions, but when you get a date and a time, it's action. So as you hear people and as you listen for those kind of points, just try to converse in a way that, you know, I really would like to maybe have another opportunity to sit down face-to-face, try to get on their calendar because that's how you get into their life. That's just one answer. Let me recommend a resource to you as well. This is a third, fourth resource in this series. You can have this as an app on your phone. You can have this as a book. It's called The Three Circles. It's a life conversation guide and it follows much of the example of Acts 17 in which Paul starts with them, moves to man's basic need and his brokenness and then gets gets to the gospel. This kind of walks you through that. It may give you some more tips on how to do that, okay? The guys that wrote the book are way smarter than me, and so maybe you can download the app. It's got some instructions on it. I've used it before. I have the app. It may walk you through. There's several things on Vimeo about this, or you can order the book. But I just would uh, take a snapshot of that. It might help you answer that question. Here, can I say to those who ask that question, thank you for asking. 
I don't have all the answers on this one. I'm struggling as well. I'm trying to figure out my way through conversations. But to hear your heartbeat, that Todd, we want to know what we can do next. I love that about you guys. At least you're not saying this, like, hey, could you leave us alone? Like, can we move on to something else? Like, you're thirsty for how to talk to the to people about the Lord. I love that. So I'm not a, a whiz at this, but that's one resource that has helped me. Um, I'd also point out Ed Gregory is uh, over here to my right. Ed, can you raise your hand? He's got years of experience, and Cynthia as well, in evangelism. That's one of the things he does, in fact, uh, for the people he works for. Uh, and so he has a lot of tips. I would just see Ed say, hey, can you help me with some of these questions I have? Small groups call him, individuals, families. He'd be a real help to you, okay? Uh, is there one more question at all? Let's just take one more. What does evangelism look like when the audience is not religious or denies the existence of God? Okay, it looks like it's polite. Is that okay to say? And it looks like that you may have to be willing to take no for an answer at times. Evangelism isn't getting the results. It's simply sharing the truth. It's sowing the seed. So if you're in a place like this, which Paul was, speak clearly, accurately, and truthfully, but always speak politely. And then if the response is hostile, not hunger, you have to be content that you sowed the seed. More specifically, I might say this. If you're in those kind of audiences, you might want to be well-read on cultural issues. Um, You might want to be prepped on certain hot-button topics. Maybe what do most agnostics, skeptics, atheists, what are their common questions and comebacks? You might want to be aware of those. So as you go in, you're somewhat prepped to answer well. There isn't an answer to everything, by the way. And that's okay. I believe in what we call presuppositional apologetics, or I would say presuppositional evangelism. I do believe there is a God. I assume that to be true. If someone says, I don't believe there's a God, I can converse with them, but I'm probably not going to make a lot of progress initially. I'll have to back that truck up and be willing to meet again But there's a bigger issue going on first, isn't there? Is there a God? And and, and so that talk is just, it's a different ballgame. That's what I'm saying. So if you're into an argument with someone who is not even presuppositional, and you are, you may find that you come to a stalemate and just take that from the Lord, be accurate, truthful, polite, and hospitable, and then whatever the response is, take it from the Lord and sow the seed well. I hope that answers the question a little bit. Can I give you three last tips and then we'll close our time and, and engage in communion for a little bit. Here's some ways to help margin, really get on your calendar, so to speak, all right? First of all, and I think I can just show these here uh, pretty sequentially, pretty quick. Get your radar up, all right? And I think the main word here I want to say is pray. In fact, can I just challenge you to do something? Would, would all of us be willing to pray every day for a divine interruption? Now, if I changed the word interruption to opportunity, you'd say yes in a heartbeat, wouldn't you? You'd say, Todd, I'm my hands up on that. It sounds so spiritual. Divine opportunity, oh, yes, count me in. But if I said to you, pray for a divine interruption, you'd be like, uh, I might. I might pray for that. But have you seen my, my schedule? Do you know my workload? What the kids demand? You want me to pray for a divine interruption? Yeah, I, actually, I do. And can I say to moms and dads with multiple kids, some of the best family learning opportunities are when you have to adjust on the fly for someone else's needs. Your kids see more in that than you could ever get 
of paying another $150 for another dance class or soccer league. Ouch. Living with your family in the fray of everyday life and say, you know what? We just got a call. We're going to go help. Or I, I can't go to all that now. Just know that pray for divine encounters, interruptions. And then look for your prayer to be answered. Amen. Barbara, I thought about our story just now. You were late to the jail that day this week, weren't you? And yet God knew and arranged, I guess, somehow in his incredible wisdom for your lateness because the person you talked to was actually there on the same day you were, and you thought you were late. It's you planning and just looking ahead, oh, but you stuck to your plan, and God intervened, and there was an interruption in one sense. She was there, and you didn't expect her to be there, and you thought you were late. God's got it. So, hey, just pray for interruptions and then look for them, opportunities. Number two, have your calendar open. So get your radar up. Have your calendar open, which means add some time on each end of your appointments. All right? And when I say appointments, that even means things like heading to church, going to dinner. It may not be an official appointment for your work, but if you've got a time slot available for something with your family or with your husband or with your kids or your small group, I would just add some minutes on both ends because that's how you create space. Your small group ends at, let's say, 7.30. Well, I've got to be at the store at 7.40. That'll never happen, okay? So create some space on your calendar. Start thinking like, okay, if it ends at 7.30, I probably won't leave till 7.45. It'll take me longer to get to the store than I think because it takes five minutes to get to the car. So, so you, all those things are in play, and you know what? Just plan to the store at 8.15. And you've got some margin in there, some space for interruptions. If you do that on the end and beginning of every appointment, I've discovered recently, it just kind of helps with those opportunities. And thirdly, be gospel ready. This is where week four would be most effective. I don't have time for it. I didn't plan for it well. But use interruptions to point to Christ. Be so immersed in the gospel Be so saturated with what God has done for you in Christ that when the moment is right, you don't have to think, oh my goodness, what were the four spiritual laws? Oh yeah, what what was that verse? It's just, it's like the gospel is always front and center on my mouth. This is one of the things that communion does for us every week, isn't it? It keeps us gospel ready, gospel focused. Here's a challenge for you and an an invitation. If you're not sure you really understand the gospel, to be able to share it succinctly, and I'd even use the word quickly in the right sense, accurately, if you can't follow the trail of God, man, Christ response in a way that would lead someone to repentance and faith, we want to help you. I can speak for every elder and deacon and staff member here. That's our leadership. Every single one of them is on board to help you if you want it. It's not just me rowing this boat. But if you're a leader here, you have you already said, I want people to be ready with the gospel and fluent. So I can speak for every elder, deacon, and staff member. We'll help you. Just leave us a word. Leave a card today. Call us. Hey, I'd like just an hour of somebody's time to help me think about how to make sure I know the gospel. We'll help you. And a church armed and filled with people who are gospel fluent and gospel ready 
and then willing to be interrupted, that's a powerful force to unleash on a city, isn't it? Man, that, that excites me. I need to wrap this up. I don't have a fourth week, so I've just got to conclude this and trust the Lord with the results. Can I just end by asking you this? I know most of you here are believers. And I think your heart beats for this like mine does. But what if someone here today has been interrupted? What if someone in your section, this is their first time, their third time, and they're like, man, I don't even know what it means to be saved. When you were praying earlier for folks to have a heart for for lost people, I'm one of those lost people. I don't know what it means to have a relationship with Christ. I don't even understand the gospel enough to apply it personally. Todd, what's going on in these three weeks? I've heard one of them. I've heard two of them. But yeah, God's interrupted my life. Can I share with you the greatest news of all? That God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to pay for every one of your sins by giving his life as a sacrifice. You're broken, I'm broken. There's no real difference between us. The fact that you're aware of your brokenness now means you are aware you need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. And what you think this morning is an interruption is actually God's invitation for you to trust his son Jesus as the only way to be saved and restored back to God. So, well, Todd, how does that happen? By simply posturing ourselves in humility under God, repenting of our sin, saying, Lord, I am lost and I need to be saved, and then asking God to save you through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. It would sound like this in a prayer. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm apart from you and lost. But I know that you love me and you gave Jesus as a sacrifice for my sins. And so I ask you to forgive me of my sins because of Jesus Christ. And Lord, be my Savior. Forgive me. I repent. Save me through your Son, Jesus, today. It sounds something like that. You can say that with your eyes open while you're driving. You can kind of mutter that while you're at an altar. You can say that while you're washing dishes. Does that make sense? At some point in your life, repentance is expressed by saying, God, I'm wrong. You are right. Save me through Jesus. And when a heart says that, God saves people. Is that you this morning? Has this been your interruption? A message about evangelism to the church has actually been a message of inviting you to Christ? I hope so. And I trust that the Lord has shown you the beauty and wonder of his grace this morning. That you would trust him and be saved. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons. Thanks for listening.